0: Hello everybody and welcome to Three Course Politics Podcast. I'm Hills. And I'm Josh. And we have a very special episode for you today. Uh, First thing, uh, you may have heard a new intro song that's from Brett Hillsberg. He hooked us up with a new song. We gotta keep it fresh here. Only the freshest. Absolutely. Uh, in today's podcast, we are going to be talking about uh, a couple of things. So the appetizer for today is going to be the battle for the Senate. Perhaps the other biggest thing in 2020 will be who controls the Senate and, uh, and then, you know, the presidency, obviously. Uh, the entree is going to be all about Iran and how, how terrible of a situation we're in. <laughs> the side dish for you is going to be about Tom Steyer. And your dessert will be an impeachment and war powers resolution ice cream sundae.
1: Oh, man. An ice cream sundae. That sounds delicious. Yeah.
0: uh, It's uh, juicy. You know, it's sweet. Uh, You have a little banana on top. I don't know which one of those is the banana, but (laughs) we're going to figure it out as we go. So the last thing is, are you registered to vote? Are you not sure? Again, we say this every episode Please check if you're registered. There is no reason why you have to check the deadline before the general election 2020 if you're registered to vote. That makes no sense. Just do it right now, and you're set for later this year. You can literally do it right now. Go to vote.org right now. Josh, is there anything else you want to say before we get started?
1: No. uh, I think you just about covered it. The Senate is going to be very, very important, uh, because in whatever disaster scenario we don't win the presidency in 2020, better at least win the Senate. So the Senate's going to be huge, uh, Iran is terrible, and Tom Steyer is somehow still there. So that is your, uh, that's all I got. That's all I got.
0: Well, this is a good segue, and uh, Josh has a good question for you coming up.
1: Okay, so here is your pre-dinner shot. This is the question that we ask you at the beginning of the pod. We will answer it at the end, but you know, kind of get your taste buds warmed up uh, and let's see how we do. The pre-dinner shot question is, how many seats do Democrats need to win to take control of the Senate, excluding the vice presidency? Okay, so how many seats do Democrats need to win take control of the senate excluding the vice presidency that's 51 seats how many seats do they need because you want to have a clear majority you want to bring in vice president john delaney every time that you need a you know a vote brokered in the senate so how many seats do the dems need that's your pre-dinner shot the answer will be at the end of the pod All right, so welcome to your appetizer. As Hills mentioned in the in the introduction, the appetizer is gonna be all about the battle for the Senate. Hills, why do you think it's important for the Dems to take back the Senate?
0: Really no reason. I think it's a good to have. No, it's so important because, uh, oh my God, there's so many things. You have confirmation of judges, you have confirmations of uh, administration officials you have ratification of treaties you have a a second house of congress so you can pass legislation and put it on the president's desk and potentially override a veto to just name a few of the things why it's so important to have the senate
1: exactly and we're not uh focused on the house right now the house is uh very complicated with each of the own states um but you know the Democrats seem to be in in a decent enough position to be able to retain the House. Uh, so we want to focus on the Senate. Um, and the first question we have to ask is: Is this possible? Okay, is it possible for Democrats to flip the Senate? And the answer is absolutely. It is definitely possible, but it's going to be very, very, very tough. So uh, there are a couple of uh, so I think in twenty was it yeah there was twenty sixteen. Uh, and a little bit in 2018, Dems had uh, a horrible map. They had all these Democrats up for re-election and very few members of the GOP. This time around, 2020, it has flipped. You have 23 GOP members who are up for re-election compared to just 12 Democrats. So the map is already in our favor, which is great.
0: Yeah, we should have we should have won some seats in 2016, but boy, we got out real good in 2018 when a bunch of our Red State Dems... I mean, we lost a few, but a bunch of the Red State Dems were up, and we won a majority, a fair majority of them.
1: Yeah. So, this year, we've got... um, I have identified, I think, the top four seats that I think are uh, capable of flipping. There are a total of I believe 12 seats that I talk about in here, but the top four... I think there are actually 10. But the top four that I think uh, are capable of flipping. So I'm going to go one by one for each one. The first one is Susan Collins. Susan Collins, who's in Maine. Uh, and her competition is between is uh, with Sarah Gideon, who is the state speaker of Maine. Now, Maine has always kind of perplexed me. Uh, because Maine is a northeast state. It is usually very, very liberal. Uh but you know sometimes they get those conservative governors, conservative uh s- uh senators. But Susan Collins is not popular in Maine. She's especially with her bro- vote with uh, Brett Kavanaugh and uh Sarah Gideon is raising a ton of money. And so I think for the first time in a while Susan Collins in Maine is so is, is a race to watch come uh November 3rd.
0: Yeah, I really agree with that. I think She's maintained this, like, brand of, like, liberal republicanism in Maine. And Maine is a—I would say Maine is a blue state, but it's not the bluest of states. But she really did herself in with the Kavanaugh vote. I think Sarah Gideon can use her—and she even gave a speech, if you remember correctly, she gave a pre-vote speech about why she was going to approve Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, the— if I'm an ad maker, which I'm not, but I would use every, I would blanket the airwaves all the time reminding voters what she did. And I don't think people in Maine really like that. And I'm really, really confused of how she's going to run this campaign because I think she won a lot of the times because she got a lot of uh, crossover voting where the people in Maine was like, hey, yeah, you know, the Democrat, but like, I know Collins and she's a good woman and... I'm going to vote for her so i think i think this is the top target
1: yeah also high up on that list is cory gardner of uh, colorado um he's another one who is very very vulnerable uh mostly because his opponent is john hickenlooper uh, former presidential candidate former governor of colorado uh very popular in, in colorado has been attacking cory gardner uh, pretty significantly, he got out of the race in uh, the presidential race in enough time to still, you know, hit his deadlines and do what he needs to do. Um, so I think uh, John Hickenlooper has a very good shot at unseating Cory Gardner. Also, you know, pro-Kavanaugh. Um, and Colorado is uh, definitely a blue state. I You know, I think it's been a swing state in the past. I think it's pretty solidly blue right now. Um, so I think Colorado could be a good get for the Democrats.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you there, and and you know Gardner just carries himself with a certain demeanor, and I really hate it. If you if you ever want to watch some YouTube clips or see him on TV, he's just so smug, and I think he yeah. If we if we're gonna take the Senate, it goes through Maine and Colorado, and I think it's a very winnable seat, especially with presidential level turnout. John Hick Looper, you know, has won statewide twice. Uh, he knows how to run in Colorado, and I think at this point Colorado hasn't went Republican since two thousand and four for George Bush. That was the last time it voted Republican. So if if it goes blue again in twenty six in twenty I'm sorry in twenty twenty, then I don't see a reason how Gardner could win unless Hicklin Hooper does
1: something weird. Yeah, um, third one is Martha McSally in Arizona. And her opponent is Mark Kelly, who is a former astronaut. Uh, he's the husband of Congressman uh, Gifford, who um, was uh, shot uh, and almost lost her life. Um, but he is running way ahead of Martha McSally. She is a very unpopular special election uh, senator from Arizona, which has seen a rise in Latinos um, who usually vote Dem. Um. So I think uh Mark Kelly actually has a very, very good shot at uh beating Martha McSally. He's run he, I mean, I've just seen ads from him. But he's put forth a very strong campaign.
0: I think this is uh perhaps my favorite Senate campaign of twenty twenty.
1: Yep, me too. I me think too. Mark Kelly's
0: just such a good he's such a good candidate and McSally's such a bad candidate and I think he's yep. really I think he's really gonna gonna Win and you think he's going to win big. And you, the 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 last thing is that I know that the Hispanic and Latino population are Democratic voters, but it's so crazy to me because I feel like um, that population of voters, while they're not one single block of voters, they'd be such a good Republican target because yeah. if the Republicans weren't just so racist, <laughs> <laughs> like they're they they're you know very big on religion. Um, You know, they they work hard, like they are the American dream immigrants of the of this generation, and they would be so Republican if Republicans weren't just so racist. It's true. (laughs) Anyway, side side
1: thought. Sidebar. Uh, Yeah. Mark Kelly is one to watch. So our fourth option as someone who could help us foot the Senate is in North Carolina. Tom Tillis is the name of the GOP member. And he is uh, being challenged by Cal Cunningham, who uh, has a very strong fundraising game and is very well-known in North Carolina. And the latest poll actually had him up by two points. So Cal Cunningham could be someone that helps us drive up the vote in North Carolina, especially the African-American vote, because we need that in North Carolina if it's going to go Dem. And he is someone that could certainly challenge Tom Tillis And that seat is very, very gettable for Dems in 2020.
0: I didn't know much about Cal Cunningham, so uh, this is a good primer on it. Uh, Yeah, I think think everything you said is exactly correct.
1: Uh, And then there are a couple other uh, seats that I think are uh, available to flip as well. Uh, Joni Ernst of Iowa, she doesn't have a contender yet, but um, she's someone who, you know, Voted for for Kavanaugh has been getting heckled heavily at these town hall meetings, uh, and is someone that could definitely lose her seat. Uh, Iowa went big for for Dems in 2018, so that's one that we that's to watch out for. Uh, John Cornyn of uh, Texas is another one. He's someone that I think uh, it's tough, but you know, if better O'Rourke would just get off his ass and run. I think he could really give John Cornyn a run for his money. Uh, Cornyn is very unpopular in Texas. His uh, favorability is at 43, I think, 42. So he's well below 50%. Um, and, you know, Texas, we keep saying this, or Dems keep saying this, is on the verge of turning blue. So maybe 2020 is the year. Uh, Kansas has an open seat. Uh, the ex-governor of Kansas uh, is uh, now running for the, for the Senate. Uh, and Kansas just uh, elected a Democratic uh, governor uh, back in uh, 2018. So you, 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 you never know. Uh, Kansas could be up there. Georgia has an open seat. If Stacey Abrams is not a VP candidate uh, and decides she actually wants to run, which she says that she's not going to do, but if she did, I think Georgia is a very, very open seat. And the last one, this is kind of crazy, but you never know, is Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. Now, the reality of the situation is Mitch McConnell is probably not going anywhere. But, you know, people have been showing up and heckling him with a Moscow Mitch. He certainly has done himself no favors with the Trump administration. Uh, And with this whole Senate trial for impeachment, if he, you know, comes out like he has been and is not allowing a fair trial, that could also, you know, help uh, whoever the candidate is. So I think uh, those other seats... Uh, Georgia, Iowa, Texas, Kansas, Kentucky are other uh, things to watch. So,
0: you think you you listed some uh, extraordinary uh, pickup opportunities? I can I just make two comments. So yes. the first one is for McConnell. Uh, there are a lot of lists that some political scientists or you know political election experts make, and they list like consequential elections in the past you know, decade, whatever. And they consistently put the 2008 Senate race of Mitch McConnell versus his challenger as like in the top three every time because Mitch McConnell almost lost in 2008. And if Mitch McConnell lost, I don't think there would be a Republican majority as there. He's very smart. He's very evil, but he's very smart. (laughs) And the second thing I'm going to say right now, do not sleep on Iowa in 2020. It go. went big for Trump in 2016. I get it. But it went down in 2008 and 2012 for Obama. Josh, you just said it went pretty blue in 2018. I think Iowa is 100% up for grabs in 2020. And honestly, with the map that is looking what it is, we need every electoral vote. And I think they should really make a play in Iowa. And that goes along with if Joni Ernst gets a good challenger, And Iowa goes blue in 2020, we win that seat.
1: Yeah, Uh, the one downer for Dems is that Doug Jones is in a very, very tough race. Uh, Alabama, uh, Doug Jones is a Democrat, uh, and you know it depends on who his candidate is. But unless his candidate is, uh, you know, someone truly, truly awful, uh, then Doug Jones is most likely out of out of the Senate in 2020. But uh, you never know. We'll see. So the last thing is uh, a couple of helpful hints for Dems to take back the Senate. The first one is I think in these Senate races, you need to avoid big national issues. You know, I think uh, it's better to focus on issues that matter to your state. I think if you are in Maine and Colorado... Especially, I think you can focus on impeachment and judges and, you know, how Cory Gardner and Susan Collins have done nothing for your state. Otherwise, you know, stay away from from Russia and the Mueller r- report and impeachment and Trump. You want to just focus on things like uh, uh, corruption, greed, lack of wage growth, things that are important just to your state. Don't get drawn to a national conversation. Keep it local. Keep it about your state. Uh, drive up the young turnout, and then hopefully you get a strong presidential candidate who can help get out the votes. And I think if you, you follow those hints and you choose a good challenger to these competitions, I think Dems have a, have a serious shot at taking back the Senate in 2020. But for all of our listeners out there, in November 2020, November 3rd, don't just watch the presidential race. you got to watch these Senate races, too, because uh, getting... Uh, Trump out of office is so important, but if we don't have a Democratic Senate to help whoever our candidate is, then it's gonna be a lot harder.
0: You are preaching uh some words of wisdom there. Honestly, I think I think that's I think that's the ticket to do it, and um poor Doug, Doug Jones. We only knew we knew we only had so much time with him, and it yeah. might be coming to an end. But He's no, I, I agree time. with all of your helpful hints are uh, if you're a uh, Senate candidate listening to this please um, take take those uh, in stride please Today's entree is about Iran and a potential war with Iran
1: Hills I have a question for you yes should I Go join the military or is the draft going to be reinstated and I shouldn't worry about getting, uh, joined the military now?
0: <laughs> well, lucky for you, the draft is coming.
1: Oh, good. Excellent. <laughs>
0: yeah. Front lines for you, Josh, just like you asked for Well, uh, the draft is not coming <laughs> so, as far as we know. But anyway. All right. So what happened and why does it matter? So if you don't know, we'll, we'll give you a quick summary. Trump ordered a drone strike on the Iran General Qasem Soleimani. Uh, I may have mispronounced that. And he's sort of like their head of uh, the Iranian CIA. That's probably the best equivalent. So he's like the head of their CIA program. Um, It was a very, very aggressive act to order a drone strike. I mean, this guy Soleimani is not a good guy. I don't mourn for him uh but the act of doing it was something that hasn't been done before george w bush and obama both didn't do it for reasons that they were worried about escalation between you know that that's a
1: that's an act of war honestly yeah um, it, i mean it makes sense why you'd be concerned and not want to take out basically a high level official in, in a country that you don't have a good relationship with
0: yeah yeah more or less <laughs> and and seeing that this is not 1945 uh, and the world has changed, there's different ways that someone can react. So I, Iran and its proxy forces shot rockets uh, at a base in Iraq that hosted US troops in response. Um, doing damage, but their troops were ready. They kind of, I, I read something yesterday on CNN that they knew the attack was coming and they were already in the bunkers. So that, that's good. But you know now, because this happened on Iraqi soil, uh, Iraq wants U.S. troops out of the country, and that is something that Iran wanted for years. They wanted Iraq to push out U.S. troops, so they're actually getting what they want here. Um, <laughs> Iran has also said it's going to start its nuclear program again in earnest. Uh, what I, I mean, seriously, Iran accidentally, dis- and this is something new. And I, I said this during I when I saw it, that happen, I was like, I bet they did this. Um, Iran accidentally destroyed a civilian plane leaving Iran. Um, I don't think that was intentional. I thought someone must have made some mistake and targeted the plane, but I knew they did that, and they came out and they said they
1: did it. Hills, I have a quick story about that. There was um, I was listening to something. I think it was NPR or something, and the, uh, <clears throat> the 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 guy who recorded there was someone who recorded the video, and he said it looked like the plane got shot out of the sky because it just all of a sudden just went up in flames. And for a long time, people in in Iran were saying, oh, no, this was a, you know, there was a failure and there was some kind of mechanical issue and blah, blah, blah. And then they brought in these outside uh, investigators from Ukraine and Canada and I think the U.S. And then uh, those people had found, those investigators found that that there was no mechanical issue. And then all of a sudden, uh, then Iran comes out with, this whole story of oh actually we accidentally destroyed the civilian plane but I'm not sure how accidental it was I think you know they said that but uh this video shows that um it it wasn't you know a a mechanical failure like Iran said it was it was actually it was shot out of the sky so um I mean we'll see but it, it was definitely shot out of the sky and this guy in Iran got this video and it was pretty crazy
0: well then you know that's not good i'm sure there'll be more fallout from that and um this is probably why iran doesn't do stuff like this usually we're going to get into this but um they don't usually react so quickly but i think feel like they needed to um and the last thing is that apparently uh, doing a drone strike on soleimani was the extreme option that was put in front of trump a couple weeks ago and when you put decisions in front of a child you get a bad decision uh, simple as that. So you know, I want to run you a couple of things that we've been thinking about. First of all, this was so stupid. Uh, not because I have any regret for the loss of Soleimani, but Iran will never... Ne- you have to think long-term about this. Iran will never negotiate with the U.S. again for any nuclear deal. We broke the deal with them that Obama and, and our European allies made with them. We broke it, and then we killed their their top general it would be like if iran killed our CIA director in canada can you manage manage (laughs) that like we would be we would be we would never it's like from their point of view we would never negotiate with a country that does that i mean never um especially when they probably thought like what like we know we're not friendly with each other but that's like an
1: escalation we weren't
0: thinking you would do
1: Right. It's it's really a move that a bully makes. You know, it, it really is. It's it's I don't like this, you know, I've got Warhawks in my cabinet who are telling me that we have to respond to Iran because I think Iran killed a US contractor or something and then, you know, our our response to that is is to basically start a war with them. I mean, you know, and I'm not trying to belittle the death of a US contractor. But, you know, the, the response to killing a U.S. contractor is not, let's go start a war with Iran. That, that can't be the response from any measured person.
0: It's about proportional response. And if you're a president of the United States, this is something, this is part of your job, is to gauge response and to make appropriate decisions no matter what happened. And this is such an inappropriate decision. It just shows how how little Trump understands about how to do his job. This is, I mean, and uh, Trump came out with a press conference uh, last week and basically read off a script. He kind of uh, tried to reduce tensions, but as to your analogy, Josh, about a bully, it's like a bully throws a rock at you. Uh, I'm sorry, a bully like pushes you or punches you in, in on the playground, right? And then you uh, throw a rock at his... Uh, at him but you miss so you don't actually hit him but you throw a rock at him and the bully's like whoa 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 truce 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 i didn't mean to do that it's like no it's like it's like trump is trying to do that where they're totally they're totally their response is not over yet that's the big thing they will be arming and doubling down on their proxy allies to attack u.s bases and consulates around the world so they needed to do something to show that they were you know, responding to this, but this is just the beginning of their response. This was so stupid.
1: Yeah, and you know, we we we, we talked about their response not being over, but the their biggest response is you know, um, is the U.S. getting out of the, the 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 Middle East? I mean, the Middle East is as complicated as it is, and even though we have the Saint Jared Kushner in there, just you know, working day and night hills to find some some peace in the Middle East, uh, we've made Jared's, Jared Kushner's job harder. And, I mean, poor Jared Kushner. He's the victim in all this this. He's been poor working so Jared. hard, and then his his dad just goes ahead and just, you know, blows the whole thing up. I just... He's never my, had to work
0: hard. Uh, why make him start now?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, God.
0: Uh, and, and, you know, another thing is the Iranian public, and by no means are they, like, one public and they all believe the same thing, but I bet you the public that was pissed off at their regime is now pissed off at the United States, and so their public opinion should be focused on themselves, and now they're focused on us, and so the Iranian public probably majority majority probably doesn't isn't isn't a big fan of the U.S. Even if they were softening about that, uh, just just underscores that Trump has no idea what he's doing, and really started a fire in a place where it did not need to be started he did not need to do this there was a bunch of other things uh, on his repertoire of actions he could take but he decided to do the most extreme option and did not care about the consequences uh, you know I don't under I don't doubt that Suleimani had plans to attack the United States as the administration has been saying but honestly I really don't believe they were imminent because everyone in the administration has a different response recently pompeo's been saying different things trump has been saying different things so that really is clear to me that yeah there probably was something in the works but it was very low level it was very like annoying rather than you know assassinating someone it was more like let's annoy them let's destroy equipment not let's blow up an embassy that's what i really think and they don't have one single response, so that's evident that they don't... They're just kind of grasping for straws.
1: Hills, I have uh, three things that I want to say, okay? The first thing is um, Suleimani has... Uh, you know, he had put out publication saying that if he were to die, he wanted to go out as a martyr. And mission accomplished. Uh, Trump has made Soleimani in Iran look like a martyr. Someone that died for a good cause, and now they have to rally behind him and sing his name and remember the kind of person that he was. And that leads me to my second point, which is the funeral for Soleimani. I mean, it looked like, in the United States, the March for Our Lives. It looked like uh, the Women's March. It looked like you know all these marches that we've had here, they had that for the death of Soleimani. So we certainly didn't do ourselves any favor, and I think the uh, the leader of uh, of of Iran um, has you know said that the, their beef is not with the the American people. Their beef is with Trump. They, they, they mentioned Trump, Pence, and Pompeo, um, and they can say that. But you look at uh, there was an, an interview done by NPR. You looked at some of these people, and they asked them like, you know, why are you out here? And these people said, I never do these things. You know, I never, ever come out to these things, but this time's different. And it's just such a, a sad story to, you know, uh, our, our relationship with Iran. And it certainly was, was never good. It was never this bad. I can't remember it being this bad except for when uh, they took hostages, you know, back in the 70s. We weren't even and, alive then. Yeah, we weren't even alive then. Um, and it leads me to my, my third response, which is uh, Mike Lee. Mike Lee is a senator from Utah, and uh, Mike Lee, when the when the administration uh, briefed all, the, all all the senators on what had happened, uh, Mike Lee just <laughs> Mike Lee just lost it. Uh, he came out and and he was so upset with how uh, the uh, with how the administration had. Uh, proposed uh, what was done and what really upset Mike Lee was the administration basically said uh, you can't talk about this. If if you argue about this, you're basically on the side of the Iranians and you're an ally to uh, Iran. And Mike Lee just absolutely lost it. And Mike Lee is, again, he's a Republican. He has been very much by Trump's side. But man, did he just go off on uh on Trump and the res- the response that the administration gave all the senators? He was saying how it's terrible and it's un-American, and in his nine years he's never seen anything like this. Uh, so definitely not a great look uh for uh for Trump and uh the Republicans when your own senator from from Utah uh goes crazy on on your uh on the president.
0: so I, I saw that reaction. And yeah, this is great when you make your own friends really pissed off at you, right? Yeah. It's really great. Uh, and the last thing, the last thing, I, and I was just thinking about this as you were, as you know, this reminded me why, as you were saying um, that uh, everything was the Iraqis. Let's not, let's not discount the Iraqi public as well. Like, not that they love the U.S., but There's a a lot of Shia Muslims in Iraq, and they cannot be happy at the United States right now. So that's the last thing that we need. We need people in the Middle East hating us everywhere because of this. (laughs) Like, yeah, not just Iran, not not just Iran, (laughs) not just Iran. So what comes next? As we said, more attacks from Iran. They're gonna. It might not be as blatant as a missile barrage, but. They have ally forces, like militia forces that are allied with Iran. They have them in Lebanon. They have them in Iraq. They have them everywhere in the Middle East. You know, they have a whole network. So we should expect more attacks from them, unfortunately. A deteriorating relationship with Iraq. Iraq has already said it wants our troops out, and we are probably not going to agree with them on that. But we need a strong working relationship with Iraq, and this is not helping. Uh, the potential escalation of violence, unfortunately, this is something we need to look out for. You know, matter if, let's say Iran does something with their proxy forces and does something to a consulate or does something to another American interest. We can have another disproportional response by the Trump administration. So war is still there. Yeah, there is no chance of Iran giving up its nuclear power program now. No chance whatsoever. Their nuclear program is here to stay. So great job, Trump, for doing the exact opposite of what you said you wanted and the exact opposite of what Obama put into place. They literally are doing the opposite. So, AKA, they have more support to expel U.S. troops in the region, and they got a really good pretense to start their nuclear program. So they got everything by Trump doing this. So this actually, we should be blaming A, Trump, but also the generals who put this option in front of a child, like, didn't they not even think about the why put an option that will actually reverse American interest in the region rather than further them? So uh, the next two are potentially something to look out for. Potentially losing support with the GOP base if things escalate. There's a really good section of the GOP base, especially the stupider as they get. Not saying that they're stupid because they believe this, but. War is not very popular among people. And war is going to be the first to affect the people at the GOP base. They're going to be the first people potentially drafted. They're going to be the first people potentially harmed by less social services. Everything. Um, And it could actually deteriorate support with the GOP for Trump. And this was just a very, very, very bad mistake.
1: Yeah. um, Hills, if I may... I, uh, I found Mike Lee's comments that I mentioned before. Here's what he said, quote, the, uh, the briefing is probably the worst briefing I have ever seen, at least on a military issue, in nine years I've served in the U.S. Senate. What I found so distressing about the briefing is one of the messages we received from the briefers was, Do not debate. Do not discuss the issues of the appropriateness of further military intervention against Iran. If you do so, you will be emboldening Iran. End quote. So uh that's not great, Hills. It's not great.
0: It is not great at all.
1: And we can I can
0: find the clip and put it in the show notes as well.
1: Oh, you should because he's his voice is so irate. <laughs> he's he's just he is ready for a rumble and man, he is not backing down. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. But you know, um, Trump ran on this issue of getting us out of these silly wars as he put it and he, he you know he he was against the Iraq war the like, great a businessman with no you know dog in the fight is against the the Iraq war right but you know he's he's he was against that war and he's getting us into another war and it just speaks to Trump's strongman approach and how you know we 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 talked about earlier hills um back in 2016 we talked about uh you know How Trump is surrounding himself with these generals and tough guys and, you know, want to drive a truck. Um, And, uh, you know, now it's 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 here and it's very, very scary.
0: I think you're exactly right, Josh. Uh, And I think uh, that ties up this segment pretty
1: well. Yeah. And the side dish, which should hopefully be a little more uplifting, is coming up next. Okay. So now is your side dish. Now that we've uh, made, we came off a very dark uh, entree, but an important one. Now we're going to try and lighten things up with a side dish. So the side dish is uh, I'm going to have three minutes to talk about an item. And Hills is going to decide if it stays on the menu. Is it something that we want to see more of or less of? And today our side dish is all about Mr. Tom Steyer. Mr. Tom Steyer. So, Hills, do you have your timer set?
0: I am almost ready with my timer, and my timer is set
1: and ready to go. All right. So, Hills, give me a little countdown, and I will have three minutes to talk about Mr. Tom Steyer.
0: Okay. Three, two,
1: one. Okay. So, Tom Steyer. So, Tom Steyer is somehow still in the presidential uh, debate. He is a hedge fund manager, philanthropist, environmentalist, activist, person who, ha, in the past, has given tons of money to Dem candidates. He has qualified for this debate that's coming up on Tuesday, and uh, somehow he continues to make the debate stage. He has seen a rise recently in both national polls as well as early state polls, and he is using all of his money, and I guess the money he gets from donors, even though he doesn't need to because he's a billionaire. Uh, he is hammering these uh, these states with uh, ads and tons of uh, of uh, money in the airwaves. Uh, he is not a good debater. He has no experience. He's just some wealthy guy who just manages to stick around. And his big message is anti-corruption. So he had a quote from this morning or yesterday that said, "Quote: When you tell me that we need more conventional thinking in D.C., I would actually suggest to you that maybe this is more about a judgment." than experience thing, end quote. So the billionaire is anti-money in politics. He is anti-corruption. He is big on impeachment. And man, when it's time to get down to these candidates, he he is just not one of the guys that has any experience, but he still continues to make the debate stage. So Hills, my question to you as I end my time is, do you want to see more or less of Tom Steyer end? my
0: time you are well within time you had a minute and 25 seconds so you did very well 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 um this is a really good question do i want to see more or less of so i want to see less of tom steyer but Uh. i want to see more of his money on our side (laughs) so yeah less of tom steyer (laughs) but
1: more of his billions of dollars yeah
0: (laughs) there's nothing against i think he's very nice guy person you know i think he's genuine i think he's just trying to help he seems to grasp a lot of the issues correctly but he's a distraction he's a distraction and he does not need to be running for president but what he needs to be doing is using his wealth that he's using on himself right now and fund progressive groups and whatever groups he wants all around the country and to take the fight to trump that's what he should be doing but he's not doing that
1: now if he was like a Bloomberg and was higher up in the polls because Bloomberg uh, would have qualified for the debate if he was taking money, I'm sure, but he hasn't uh, and but Bloomberg spent 10 million dollars and bought an anti-trump ad on Super Bowl Sunday And man, I just think if Tom Starr was not in this race and you know was buying TV time and doing air uh, you know you can still do the ad thing, right? but just make it anti-Trump. And that's such, a, that's such a better use of your money. But I'm so confused how anyone is looking at Tom Steyer up there and going, oh, yeah, he's the same as Biden or Sanders or Warren or Pete. Like, oh, yeah, that's the same. What? Like, it's time for us to narrow down our candidates. And, you know, we, we have six on Tuesday, and it was going to be five, but Steyer stuck in there but It's time for us to talk about real candidates who have a legit shot of winning and get everyone else out of there. And Tom Steyer is the last to go. And it annoys me because he's just here because he's wealthy. That's it.
0: Said it better than I could, Josh. Then that's, that's why I want to see less of Tom Steyer.
1: All right. Well, I think that was the right choice. So going forward, we have decided that we are going to be anti Tom Steyer and anti Tulsi Gabbard from last week, from last show. But we're going to be so. we we're
0: going to be uh, anti Hunter Biden, and we're going to be uh, maybe if Bloomberg gives us some money, we can be pro Bloomberg. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we we have a lot of depressing stuff for you on today's <laughs> podcast, but <laughs> but we're gonna we're, we have some some things that will give you hope uh, coming up. Okay, for your dessert, we are bringing you some good news or maybe some sweeter news. Uh, and the, we have two—you have your ice cream Sunday. So the first part of your Sunday, the first scoop of ice cream, is impeachment. So maybe this is not great, but I think it is. Pelosi's going to be sending over the articles in, of impeachment probably next week, I think on Monday or Tuesday. So what that means is that she was holding the articles of impeachment in the House until Mitch McConnell made rules for the impeachment uh, process and she was worried that if she sent it over he was just going to take his time and maybe not even do anything so she chose to take control of something she had control over which was sending the articles of impeachment until the rules were decided and that made McConnell have to make rules and the rules are not that great but they're rules and that means this the trial is going to happen so um, impeachment is starting up Probably in the next two weeks, they're going to start holding this trial and it's going to be on wall to wall coverage. And even though it may not go the way that we
1: want, there will be surprises along the way, I'm sure of it. I'm sure. And the important thing to watch out for here is when Pelosi sends that over and when the impeachment trial happens, what happens to Senator Booker, Senator Warren, Senator Sanders, Senator Klobuchar? What happens to those? Centers because they can't go out and campaign because impeachment is going to be at least six days a week. Um, so it'll be very, very interesting to see um, how those presidential candidates uh, have it and it could m- make room for uh, Biden and Buttigieg uh, to and maybe even Andrew Yang to make a little more noise when this impeachment stuff happens.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great call. Uh, and the second and you would think their campaigns have thought about that, hopefully they hopefully have the second thing about your dessert is that the democratic house passed a war powers resolution so what is this the house voted on a resolution so it's not it's not a binding law it's not a law that says without congressional approval military military hostilities against iran must end within 30 days so they're kind of they're trying to reassert their power and say trump to trump hey you can't just start wars without our thoughtfulness like and this actually goes for any other president too so you had a couple of gop crossovers that voted for this because in principle this is not directly targeted at trump this is targeted at any president um so what's next for this resol- non-binding resolution it goes to the senate where its fate is very unclear a similar measure that tim kane of virginia introduced could be voted on as early as yeah. next week uh, and trump i think i heard was really really pissed about this uh, because it, he's, it's like a sign of disrespect to him because he's a dictator. And he's almost certainly to veto any attempt to restrict his war-fighting powers, but it will probably be vetoed. But this just shows that the congressional Democrats are doing the right things. They have some fight left in them. They're trying as much as they can with the power that they have. And this is why winning the Senate is so, so important, because we could pass this in the House and the Senate. Not that it might. we have the... Supposed to override a veto, but we can make some positive change.
1: Absolutely, and two things. I love that Tim Kaine's out there, uh, been been uh, putting up this fight for the war powers. Um, and maybe I'm I'm wrong, but I thought that because it was a resolution, it it can't be vetoed because it's not something Trump's trying to su- sign into law. Like it doesn't have as much teeth as it would if it was a law. But I thought if it was a resolution. Um, it it could not be, be vetoed, but I could be wrong about that. But either way, you know, I, I love the fact that Dems are putting up a fight and not letting this go down because as we discussed, it was a very, very strange and stupid move. And I'm glad that the Dems are giving a little fight.
0: Yeah. I, I, I thought that too, until I was, uh, when I was preparing for this, I was looking online and I saw different things. So, Someone's wrong. Someone's right. We may be wrong we, or, or right. Who knows? But uh, it's, it's a very good thing that they're doing this. And it just shows that there is someone doing the right thing in this world. And it's the Democrats.
1: Always. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Always. Always. Always the Dems. The Dems. Well, um, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Well, we've got our uh, the answer to your pre-dinner shot is coming up next. Okay, you have patiently waited the whole podcast, you got through some, dop- some dark topics, all because you wanted to hear the answer to the question. So here's your pre dinner shot question one more time in case you forgot it. How many seats do Democrats need to win to take control of the Senate, excluding the vice presidency? And the answer is four seats. Democrats need to flip four seats without losing a seat. So if they don't lose a single seat, and they flip four, then they would have uh, control of the Senate. If they lose Doug Jones' seat, they have to flip five, five seats. And if you go back and look in the appetizer, I gave you about 10 seats that were potential uh, to flip. So it's definitely doable, but four seats is the answer to your pre-dinner shot question.
0: Four seats. and. Someone may be thinking, but what about three? So the vice president, we said excluding the vice president, and according to the Constitution, the vice president breaks ties in the case, breaks ties, a tie-breaking vote. So sometimes people consider him an additional, or her, an additional seat. So you need four seats. Yeah.
1: And, you know, uh, Vice President John Delaney's you know, he's older. You don't want him to have to come to the Senate every single time to break that power and let's get that fourth seat and let vice president john delaney rest and work for the american people
0: Ah, uh, man a day when vice when john delaney is vice president is a day we will remember forever
1: hey man vp john delaney don't sleep on it it could happen it's not going to but it could crazier happen.
0: things have happened as we all know
1: <laughs> very true
0: uh so that that's it for the podcast today and and before you go we have a few important messages uh, as we said before the intro and the outro music is by Brett hillsberg if you enjoy please subscribe please subscribe if you're listening and you're not subscribed there's a subscribe button please hit it it helps uh tell a friend uh if you can share this episode on social media say i just listened to a fantastic podcast i recommend you listen just do it 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 helps if you want to donate, you can go to the info section on the episode where you're listening. And if you have any questions, you can email us at 3 gmail at gmail.com. Josh, you want to say anything before we leave?
1: No. Uh, thank, every- thank you, everyone, for listening. There's a Democratic debate on Tuesday. Be sure you all tune in. Uh, and uh, we appreciate all of our listeners. And, uh, yeah, please help us get the word out. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you.